Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. I'm Tom and I'm the benevolent dictator of this podcast. Hopefully my heavily romanticized reign of terror lasts around 50 odd years, at which point I'll hand this podcast over to my younger brother. Yeah, that's right. Castro died last month and the uh, media in this country and even in the States had some odd reflections about it to uh, help me cover this topic. Introducing Tim. Good evening. Regular guest of the podcast. Yeah. You're almost a co-host. <laughs> not quite, not quite. You need to pay me if... Uh... Oh, no one gets paid here. I didn't get paid. Not yet. One day, maybe. What do you make of Castro's death and the media's coverage of it? Well, obviously, any, anybody dying is an absolute tragedy. <laughs> and it's the worst thing to happen, and it's never, ever happened before. Even when it's just old age? Uh, yeah, yeah. And especially when it's like a an autocratic dictator who was like a kidnapper and a murderer. Watching it on the BBC, it was like one of the popes had died. They treated him with real reverence, didn't they? Yeah. Didn't it worry you a little bit? It kind of made me think maybe maybe this is the establishment letting us know that, hey, by the way, we're falling out of love with democracy and we think you should fall out of democracy too. To be honest with you, I think a lot of it, like say, for example, a lot of the people who are of, of, of age now who are in the establishment, Castro was probably a romanticised figure to them. Oh, yeah, definitely. At university and stuff. So I can sort of understand it. I mean, that idea that the love for democracy is dying, I'm pretty sure there's some Remain voters out there salivating at the prospect of that. So things are looking pretty dire for democracy, but it's all right, because as far as actual genius Stephen Hawking is concerned, we've only got about a thousand years left on Earth anyway. So none of it really matters, does it, Tim? No, and especially when, when Stephen Hawking says it, it's doubly scary. One, because he's a very intelligent scientist. And two, because he says it like a darling. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about that and probably more as we go off tangent. But to tie this knot into a bow, we're going to be reviewing a 1976 film that some say predicted the rise of Donald Trump as well as having some of the best on-screen monologues of all time. Of course, we're talking about the Oscar-winning network. In the New York Times, a couple of weeks ago, a piece was published that highlighted a study done by a Harvard professor by the name of Yasha Monk. Monk? Monk? M-O-U-N-K. Have I pronounced that right? Monk. <laughs> Just say Monk. So he questioned the long-standing Western assumption that once a country becomes a stable liberal democracy, it will forever stay a stable liberal democracy. And uh, his study suggests that this assumption could soon be disproven. Apparently, the uh, approval ratings for democracy are starting to tank. We saw that with Brexit and the reaction of uh, the Romaniacs wanting to take away certain demographics' voting rights. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's old news. But, like, what's the alternative? Europhiles like the idea of technocracy, Win where out. ideally experts mm. make all the tough decisions. But, but ultimately, um, ultimately, you just have a big central computer that would uh, make all the decisions. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. We'll touch on that later when we talk about Stephen Hawking. Another warning sign is that the admiration for autocratic despots and religious tyrannies is on the rise, including we're seeing potentially the return of the far right to uh, Eastern Europe slightly worrying so this professor monk believes that democracies are stable when there's a series of solid liberal institutions serving as like a bedrock for civilization to be built upon so you've got your police force your public services like garbage and water more like um, you've got a judiciary 
as a whole. You've got courts, police yeah. officers. Okay. You've got a written down, maybe, constitution, maybe not written down. Well, pretty much every country has a constitution now. Yeah, yeah. So like I say, in terms of having a court system, yeah. what about, you know, the right to a speedy and fair trial? Like, is that That's not as universal. important, more important, or less important than democracy, the right to self-determination, one man, one vote? Would you call Jamaica a democracy? I have no idea if they have an elected government or not. They, they probably do. Yeah, do. So yeah, do. of course they do. Technically, yes, yeah. they are a democracy okay. in right. a colloquial yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I saw there's I saw a documentary about it, and it's it's a well documented fact that you can, you can be like held in prison, like waiting for a trial for years. Okay, like among the general populace, right? Four or five years. Are we know? talking serious crimes? All sorts of crimes across the board. Yeah, because the system is so. Uh, complicated and bureaucratic and messed up. A lot of corruption out that way? No, I don't know about that, but just the fact that you can be kept, you, you don't get a speedy trial. <laughs> You're kept in the prison for like years until they get, get through the paperwork. Okay, well then, to my question, what's more important? Democracy. Because <laughs> you can know. hopefully change that system. But even without democracy, but having the right to a fair trial, speedy trial, throw in... For example, property rights. Mm -hmm. so you can have private property. You can have your own space to yourself. I think these things are actually kind of more important than having democracy. is because you can do away with democracy and still technically have a habeas corpus, a right to be uh, judged by your peers in a free and fair trial. You can still have things like that. You can still have your own home. But what? But what? But, the authorities can't invade. But what is a, but a what? But what is tr a trial? A trial by jury? Yes. Is that what you're implying? By your peers. Yeah. Okay. So what is more democratic than that? The, the majority verdict of nine good men. At the heart of it, yeah, I would say is a democratic principle. Yeah. So yeah, I think right. e even if they, this guy says the country would be destroyed, I think give, give, give it a hundred years, democracy would <laughs> reform again. I think it's like the, well, natural, the natural thing if, if you're civilised. Yeah, because this guy, this Professor Monk, he's full of shit. <laughs> I can say that. You in a way, well, let me finish, because in a way, he kind of is full of shit. Like, he was pushing this paper as saying, look, this is like the warning signs. This is red flags going up that democracy is dying, and it's not really what his work shows. It shows more that people's love for democracy is dying, not really democracy is dying. People's Less democracy I is dying. Maybe you know people's I mean? just love for the system in general is, is dying. Cause I think that's the connection there. Is that people's trust and their faith in public institutions in the establishment is waning? It's it's dwindling away quickly. Yeah, it's good. It's a good thing because they're looking yeah. for a, a more positive alternative. And connected to that, it will be their love for democracy. What do you personally blame Tim for people losing faith in the establishment and their MPs? Would you maybe blame the Iraq War? The Iraq War is a very big one because I can remember vividly. Even though I didn't go, because I was working, God damn it! There were like over, a million man over, over a million men and women and children and transgenders and their their their, 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 their pets marched on uh, Parliament Square saying, "Okay, we don't want a war." Yeah. Okay, significant proportion of the electorate went to war with Iraq anyway. Mm. And turned into complete triple A one distilled clusterfuck. We're still recovering from what, yeah. what actually happened with the Chilcot report no, no exit plan on Iraq what, 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 what happened with the Chilcot report I can't remember did um, it come out like the day before Brexit or something so like, no one remembers basically it was mistakes were made but nobody was really at fault but what about the expenses scandal 
That was a big one. Oh, the the duck ponds and topiary and potpourri. Oh, God. What was it? The guy got his duck the pond curtains. cleaned. It was all sorts at of the taxpayers' expense. All sorts of shit. Someone else got a birdhouse put in their back garden. Someone got a conservatory built. Toilet paper, like ridiculous things, and like that. That that's beside the fact they all do this house flipping trick. Where you buy two houses, in claim London. one, yeah, yeah. even though you don't ever live in it. But in yeah, that's all sort of been swept under the carpet now. But it really, that's really sad thing, I think. Like in terms of people's faith in democracy. Yeah, yeah. That that in Iraq, but Iraq was a real big one because it was it, it was it was a definite thing where it was like a they just acted completely against the public mood. And um, what's yeah. happening now with with Brexit might be the sort of you know watermark. We'll see. But of course, the, the democracy is also, you know, for some countries, they need to change socially as well because they have different, some countries are very um, caste based, some are very hierarch, hierarchical based. And of course, the basic precept of democracy is that everybody's vote is equal. Whereas in Afghan society, like the village elder, really, his vote is worth more than yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, who am I to, you know, think I know more than him? You know, he can fucking read and everything. Do you think we have issues in the West with understanding that, look, they just think it's a better way of doing it? Like you say, having the village elder and just leaving it to one person to kind of like, in a way, it's kind of what democracy is anyway. Because in our elected representative democracy, that's what we do. We hand power over to a small number of people. Yeah, completely. To represent a much larger number of people. Yeah. In the Middle East, they kind of, it's kind of like that. Yeah. A little way more patriarchal, but I think in the Middle East, that's what. It was too much of a radical change. We tried to kickstart Western liberalism in an area of the world that, A, it's not that they didn't know what Western liberalism is. They just don't like it. Yeah. They, they think we're just corrupt anyway. To bring this back to the uh, Harvard professor, the study done by Harvard professor. Monk. Monk. He also highlighted an aspect of the love for democracy waning that was due to national identity crisis, whereby governments, institutions, establishments... They can't form a coherent national identity that everyone in the country can actually kind of believe in and buy into. And the knock-on effect of that is that it produces apathy amongst the populace when it comes to elections and things like that. They don't view it as we're all in it together anymore. I think I think the basic thing is, like like you say, I was trying to look at it from different countries' point of view. And of course, our country is very different because we've got a, a monarchy as well. So we do have this sort of national character and in all the public services, they've got a certain look and, and vibe to them. But um, I think the main thing is, is is the influence big business has had on politics in the last like 100 years, basically. Um, I think that is, is, is what people have started to really pick up on and has, has soured people's taste of democracy because I think it's obvious now people just see that the money wins out. Uh, so That was kind of true before capitalism arrived Maybe it's always before been true. there were businesses. Maybe it's always been true, you know, yeah. just the way things are. Do you know how it's fashionable to say, I'm a citizen of the world? Yeah, I used to say that when I was younger. Oh I God, why? Like, I, I felt like, you know, I don't think I'm better than any other nationality and stuff and... Then I actually like travelled around the world a bit, and oh no, hang on a sec. <laughs> and you did come to the conclusion you are better. <laughs> not really, not really. Because do you remember Theresa May? She came out and said, um, "If you're a citizen of the world, that means you're a citizen of nowhere." I think she's right. Technically, I think she's correct. Yeah. If you look at the definition of citizen, it means you belong to a nation state. Yeah. That's what to be a citizen means it, it ultimately it's it's it, it, it a one world one world citizen is a dead end thing it's like one nation one money one religion it's like complete apathy in the end that's what it gets to you you need to have the different flavors and 
characteristics. Like Europe is a fascinating thing because all the countries geographically are so close to each other. Okay. But they've so, got so many different languages and customs. When someone says, I feel more European than I do British. I like what I do now. And if I'm confronted by someone like this is ask them, okay, in what way are you Dutch? In what way are you Spanish? In what way are you Belgian? Do you know what I mean? In what sense are you a citizen of all these different places? You're not. Oh, I lived, I lived in Berlin for like four months. Okay. I, I've <laughs> at dat- a stretch, you're a citizen of yeah. Germany. At a stretch. I, I, I've dated a few Eastern European girls. Well, there you go. Then. You, yeah. I'm a citizen of Europe. Yeah. You're well-traveled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, you know, on the surface, it's, it's a very positive thing. You know, no borders, everyone. Oh, look how that turned out, the migrant slash refugee crisis. You know, human nature just always screws things up for itself. It's like there's a reason people have like a front door in their house. We used to have archers on the White Cliffs of Dover at all times, ready with like a lookout and uh, torches to light along the coast. We're starting to sound like like reactionaries here. (laughs) Is that what we want to go back to, like 16th century or something? Hmm? No. I don't know. When did they get rid of the archers? I don't know. When they as soon as they guns. had a cannon, surely. Yeah. As soon yeah. as someone made a cannon. Yeah. Gonna say. Oh yeah, yeah. Not not far from up here, a place called Muswell Hill. A, a shop opened on Muswell Hill Broadway, which was called uh, a really British. I really think. British. I think like, that's what it's called. Totally br- British or something. And what did it sell? Well, they after they after they were forced to take down the <laughs> Union, really British Union Jack. No, the, the Union Jacks like flying in the window. Right. Um, they had people coming in the shop like every day. They have like different people coming into the shop. This is in North London. Yeah, they have different people coming into the shop saying like, "This is racist. Shut it down." Yeah, you very... should have called the shop a different name in this sensitive time. And like, because all he was selling was just your usual souvenirs that you find in any shop in Soho, Piccadilly. Oxford yeah. Circus, that kind of area. Chuck like little bus of the Queen. Piccadilly. Red buses, things like that. It's just, you know, but that, that is like, apparently is a red rag to some balls. Muswell Hill is a very middle class, white, very yeah. well to do. Yeah. Upper Ian, sanctimonious part of London. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I yeah. think, I think the guy kind of knew it was going to rub some people the wrong way. Well, he got great publicity out of it. True. I think he's going to do well for himself. But the thing is, you, you go into central London. Oh, like for around, the record, the council aren't shutting him down. No, of course not. No. But like, because you, you go into central London and there's loads of shops with British flags in the windows set in like plastic buses, like cushions with Princess Diana's face on. You know, <laughs> there are. Um, and it's completely fine. No one blinks an eyelid. If we could have an English civic nationalism that wasn't white nationalism, that wasn't Britain first hiring out community halls and stuff, you know what I mean, to put on massive discos or whatever. It was just not being ashamed of being British anymore, rather than being immensely proud of it for no real reason. Would you not want that back? Well, I think the thing is, it's like when you do see these flags, they do stick out like a sore thumb. Union Jacks and the St. George yeah, Cross. Yeah, simply because it's it's not how Britain looks looks anymore. So it really like is it's got a real power to it, though. In terms flag. of winding people up and also making people feel good. Because the people who fly the flag do it for a reason. Most of them probably fly it to wind people up because people shouldn't be wound up about it. Like the guy in Muswell Hill. Yeah. I like, mean, he, I think part of it was he was winding people up. Because why would you have that kind of a tourist shop in Muswell Hill? It doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. All right, but something that I was alluding to earlier. I don't think democracy is entirely vital to freedom, to the idea of you being free as a... 
famously stated by Ben Franklin, one of the founding fathers of America. Right. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what to have for dinner. Do you know what I mean? The idea of the tyranny of the majority, you being outvoted and like the majority say uh, voting for your rights to be taken away could technically happen. Yeah. But you've always got the option to completely drop out of society and just be a hobo. What, go off grid? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Whereas in like a socialist, whereas in a socialist society. Oh, you got no chip. You must go to factory. (laughs) Make iPhone. Is that Castro? Could be any sort of (laughs) anywhere, anywhere. Where I do think democracy, having democracy is important though. Even though technically you could get away without having democracy and still have some liberties. Freedom of the press, just to be informed. Even if it just means just understanding that there's another way of looking at something. You kind of need a freedom of the press for something like that. Yeah, and that's really becoming a current issue with the whole fake news thing. Oh, God, yeah, let's talk about fake news. Google filtering certain websites because they're fake. You know who they're targeting, don't you? They're going to go for Infowars, Prison gone, Planet. They've already gone for them. David Icke's. They've already gone for them. But like the, 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 Whatever his website is. But the thing is, it's like the very fact but that they're actually bringing more attention to it through their actions. Just like the same the thing. I really saw that happening during the uh, US election when they were saying like this. Right, Bart. When he was saying like this, you know, he was going, oh, look at this retard Alex Jones, this idiot, look what he's saying, blah, blah, blah. All the people are like looking at it going, oh, oh yeah, this guy's telling me to vote Trump. Oh, yeah, he's quite entertaining. Oh, yeah, I better watch him. I'm going to vote for Trump too. You know, it's so something it's, different it's, from it's, the norm. It's starting to sort of consume itself. I think the mainstream media is panicking. And, oh yeah, they're uh, panicking big time. And it's starting to like consume itself, basically. They know they're losing audiences to the internet, basically. Alternative yeah. news. Yeah, and like basically think about political satire. It's like when I watch, very rarely I watch like something like Have I Got News For You on the BBC, which is like a political satire show. The laughter's always canned, but some of the jokes are just so forced and... It's been going like 23 years, something agenderized. like that. I think, I think a lot of the humour, like you say, is, is shifting to the internet because it is more sort of reactionary. More and, original. And, and vulgar. The thing about Have I Got News For You, right? And this is what I picked up on about 10 years ago and stopped watching it. Paul Merton does the same six or seven jokes that he kind of spreads out. Over, he'll do two or three of them per episode yeah, and yeah. he spreads them out over yeah. the series. And, and, if, and if he doesn't know what to say, he'll just like say some little trippy story like something oh, surreal I was walking down the park the other and day and a dolphin and I saw the, came out and yeah, yeah it was actually a dash hound in a bubble <laughs> said it worked at Hinkley Point <laughs> and then it'd be like canned laughter <laughs> what I think democracy is important to people have become in the west at the very least like western world we've become accustomed to the idea of having it it's, it's, it's something that you should uh, that you should relate to to like something you should be proud of that the fact you, you do live in a functioning democracy the fact that so many people want to come here like you say and is 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 because they are functioning democracies and the, the you know the, the other places stable follow the rules of law terrible places you can't blame people for wanting to to, to go and get be a part of that and get a part of that because they're not getting it in their own country yeah true i think it helps create like a community feel that the people that you live amongst, you're all kind of working towards something. Are you saying it's kind of inevitable then that democracy will die off in favour of just having a tyrant just telling you what to do? Or the, 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 the peaceful alternative to that, which is like the sort of Buck Rogers idea where you've got this central brain or a central intelligence or collection of souls, which is, is like the sort of supreme computer that all the questions are fed into and it gives the answers. That's well, the like I- a, a technocracy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the idea behind that, is that the computer knows everything. It's an expert in everything. 
Yeah. But that's what technocracy is meant to be. Yeah. It's meant to be the experts deciding things. But look at the EU, right? The EU supposedly is a technocracy. Look at the euro, right? The single currency big idea that the economic experts at the EU came up with that every non-EU economic expert said was going to be a disaster. Turned out they were right. Yeah. It's been in constant crisis. And basically, just it's only because Germany's got such a strong economy that they just keep bailing the Eurozone countries out. That's the only reason it's still going. Germany's just got the, the advantage of size, you know, phys- physically and population-wise as well. Yeah, as resources yeah. and work ethic, to be fair. Yeah, and an influx of young workers. Yeah, they did. That's what Merkel... Merkel's mistake, as far as I'm concerned. Mission accomplished. She only needed X amount. So she, she, she to got, take care of the so, aging. So she got X amount and now she's like shutting up shop again. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Schengen. Because let's be honest, right? It's the middle classes that kind of want to get rid of democracy. We're seeing a push towards technocracy. We're seeing the love for democracy die and people becoming enamored with technocracy. But I think we're going to see a split soon where there's going to be kind of two strands of middle class thinking one is going to be in favour of technocracy. Another one's going to be in favour of direct democracy, where you say you just set up a website and anytime the government wants to do something... Why not? Everyone who's got an internet connection gets to vote. Why not? Because not everyone has an internet connection. You use, the, and, use their smartphone. I see fucking tramps with iPhones, for God's sake. Listen, More people probably vote for X Factor Final than they do for their local election. Yeah, so listen, Time it's magazine. a good idea if it's not hacked... Exactly. Well, I was just about to say, Time Magazine can't do a person of the year poll online without it getting hacked and the results being skewed, like to make sure Trump wins. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Vote rigged. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see which one is going to win well, in that already, battle. They already have um, e-terminals in the states when they vote, and many countries. Yeah, it's dodgy as fuck. I know, but if if they could make one that isn't dodgy, which is almost impossible, it's, it'd be a cool thing to do. It's very quick and direct, isn't it? Can't trust it, though. Can't trust it. You don't know where the the bits and the data, the yeah. ones and zeros, you don't know where it goes. You know up to a point and then it goes into a black box and then no one knows what happens. There's like five people in the world that knows what happens to, those, yeah. to that data. Yeah. And but, you could vote for candidate A, it goes into the black box and comes out as a vote for candidate B. And but, it's too dodgy. But in, in, in the end of the day, I, I, I would say Professor Monk, you know, he's wasting his time. He's wrong. Because the, just because of the recent events in here in the US have shown a democratic vote has produced a, something, uh, an outcome mm. that was the opposite of what like a sort of oncoming technocracy would want. So both yes and no on that one. Why? Because Trump, well, Trump sold himself a, as a Washington outsider, right? But also he played on that sentiment of America is essentially a business. And so you should actually get a businessman, i.e. an expert at business to run the country. And that's Trump. He played both sides of that. The, I'm you, not an MP. I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm a not human. part of Washington. I'm a but human. I am a businessman and I know yeah. what I'm doing in business. And I say stuff and I tweet. I tweet at 3 a.m. in the morning. So people's love for democracy is dying because they've lost trust in our establishment and our leaders to provide a vision of the future. Well, Stephen Hawking has a vision of the future. It's the earth dying. Ain't that right, Steve? Yes, Tom. The Earth is dying, and we are the ones killing it. We have less than thousand years to figure out space exploration. Otherwise, we are all fucked. So, a few weeks ago, 
At the Oxford Union, Stephen Hawking announced he believes humans won't last another thousand years on Earth with the way things are going, and that industrialization and the resultant global warming will cause a mass extinction event. He's urging all of us to start thinking hard about how we should blast off from the planet that we wrecked. It's all our fault. And uh, we need to find another Earth to live on, which we'll just inevitably wreck as well. Because that's what we do. Do you remember Bill Hicks' line about how humans are just amoebas with leather belts and shoes? Yeah, I, it's, it's, but it's, there's actually scientific, some scientific basis to that. That we're amoebas? Well, it's it's the theory of panspermia. Because a lot of people, we what? all know... We all all know, sperm? What? Panspermia. Yeah, but pan just means all. Or world. Or like universal. Yeah. Okay, so basically, we all know life's built up of DNA, which is these four base chemicals, these acids that are mixed together. But the way they mix together to create life is a very random and miraculous thing in itself, how current science can explain it. But there's the primordial also, ooze. Yeah, but they're saying maybe this primordial ooze was <coughs> kick-started by... Lightning meteor- bolt or something? No, by like meteorites or some sort of comet crashing into Earth, which had like, some, DNA and- had like some bit of fungus or shit on it yeah. and um, reacted with stuff. Could be, could and be. And they say that's maybe how life spreads around the universe. So it is like a bit of a virus. And is like, that what we're going to do? Are we going to tie ourselves to asteroids and just... Uh, as we're well, going into the atmosphere well, of a new planet. Well, basically, like, the, most, the most advanced life form gets to a stage of intelligence where it can't help but fuck up the planet and use all its resources because it's so clever. Um, so the only option it has... It's not that clever then, is it? So the only option it has is to become like one of those comets and fly off into space as a, as a new life form, hopefully to crash yeah. on another planet and repopulate it. Like a sperm... Panspermia. Crashing into an egg. Exactly. Intergalactic egg. Yeah, it's, it's a word. Panspermia. Oh, so, so it's I, like a theory. That's yeah. how life spreads in the universe. Yes. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. So in a way, it's, it, maybe it's like an inevitability. That's what humans are going to have to do. We're going to have to go the way we came. But the idea, if, look, if we're going to find another planet, right, for us to live on, we're going to have to go really, really far if we want to find one that's just like Earth. I think the nearest one is like four light years away. That's similar to our planet, right? But deep space travel, we haven't got this one sussed. I don't think we're even close to having this one figured out. One, we need to be able to travel at the speed of light or at very, very least approaching the speed of light, which to our understanding, that's not possible. Well, it will take a thousand years to get to our nearest star at the speed of light. No, it would take four. The speed of light isn't that far. Fast. I'm talking about Proxima Centauri. What star are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, really? You think it's four years? Yeah. It's four point two, something like that. Four point, maybe four point eight light years away, something like that. I thought it was like it's not a thousand years. But anyway. the problem with the idea of traveling at speed of light is that if the fast, the closer you get to the speed of light, time slows down anyway. So effectively, you're not really traveling. Wait, wait, that wait, fast. wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Did you say four point two years? Light years. Like no, yeah, but in real time. Yeah, four years. No, in real time. If, how, if you how... could travel at the speed of light. Oh, at the speed of light. Yeah, okay. that's what light year means. All oh, right. <laughs> to the nearest star. Proxima Centauri. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> Probably not. But that's that's assuming current levels of technology. But um, you're talking at the distances involved. You're talking more about time travel, really, and folding space. Yeah, this is the Star Trek fantasy. Yeah. And you the whole thing about space. You know, the whole, the whole idea behind teleporting. Yeah, teleporting's fine. You can send matter through a black hole and make it reappear somewhere. But then you've got to put the matter back together the other side. And that's, yeah. that's the hard thing. And like, at what point do you become dead when your body's instantaneously destroyed and recreated? Would you be an <laughs> early adopter else? of teleportation technology? Would you be the one who comes out with your arm where your head should be 
I think leg. they'll put quite a few like monkeys through it first. Reality TV stars, Hope so. hopefully. But someone will want to be the first. Yeah, see, look. The nearest Earth-like planet, or Class N, if you're a Star Trek nerd, uh, is supposedly orbiting a star called Proxima Centauri, hopefully pronounced that correctly, which is only a few light years away, or 4.2 to be exact. 4.2 light years. So if you were traveling at the speed of light, which is impossible, it would take you 4.2 years to get there. Never going to happen in my book. Well, it could happen. I doubt it. We'll blow ourselves up before we ever get to that point. Or... Bacteria will get us. But then, no, but what what about terraforming? We're talking about going to Mars in 30 years' time. They want to have people within 30 years on Mars. Uh, It might be a one-way mission, which is quite something in itself. Yeah, Elon Musk said, uh, if you're going to be on the first mission to Mars, you have to accept you're going to die there. Well, some people will like that. But... (laughs) um, So that's the thing. You can can try... You you might not find a, a planet like ours, but you can try and recreate our conditions on another planet. How do you how do you go about terraforming? Like Mars has almost well, not almost, but it has very little atmosphere compared to Earth to such an extent that we can't breathe on Mars. Gravity I don't think is not you the need same. To get so technical, I think you just can get like, like a bit, how a bit gonna, of soil, bring loads of fucking astroturf. You're one it's called astroturf punch. for a reason. With the low gravity on Mars, your one inch punch training will be for naught. You won't be able to do any kind of proper kung fu moves because all your muscles are going to atrophy. They won't atrophy. Yes, they will. They'll be. You'll get like regular injections of fucking bee stings, <laughs> bee stings that will like <laughs> shock them into life. Honestly, they'll, they'll think of a solution. That's what I mean, Tom. You, at, at the moment, we don't need to do it. But if it became apparent that it became an absolute cold face necessity. The mother of all invention. Well, humans would pull it off, would be able to do it. If we have to, no, if we absolutely we have, have to do have. it, we would do it. There's got to be a limit. This isn't Hollywood. Yes, it is. Hollywood's, isn't Hollywood, ho- Hollywood's part of the world. Where Jeff Goldblum comes in at the last minute with a brilliant idea on how to save everything. Yeah. That's not how it works, is it? It is. It is how it works. I mean, terraforming, I don't... Necessity is the mother of invention. Terraforming, you would maybe do a little bit at a time. So, yeah, yeah, okay, but... Has, we need a whole new planet in less than a thousand years, motherfucker. So says Hawking, and apart from being a doomsayer with his Terminator <laughs> with accent, his dour face that he always has, he's like a Decepticon. Why can't he be? A, why can't? Why can't he be a nice robot? Why, why can't he be like Johnny Five? He has to sound like bloody Megatron instead. But anyway, apart from that, does he offer any other? Does he offer a solution, or is he just offer idle threats and misery? Well, he's saying um, in leave the, the planet basically. In the meantime, in the meantime, try and fix. Things. You know, obviously, we don't really have the technology to. We've got the technology to go to Pluto, maybe, but to actually leave the solar system, no fucking way. Right? Well, Voyager's saying, already left the solar system. Yeah, but is that even powered anymore? Well, it was launched a long, long time ago. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a farting. It's a, it's a brick floating in space. Yeah, who gives a shit? We can't live on that. Probably the first thing <laughs> the alien civilization will find from us. I mean, that's what, <laughs> let's face it, if we do have to leave Earth, we've no choice. We're going to be leaving in really slow rockets, like too slow for our, too slow for what is required, right? I mean, they'll be fast enough to get off the f- surface of the Earth, which is pretty fast. Yeah, can't we just, hang out, can't we we just hang out on the moon for a couple of centuries? And eat what? Cheese, isn't the moon made of cheese? <laughs> Obvious answer there, should have, yeah. yeah. Should have known that was coming. Hunt down wild clangers. But this is what's going to happen. We're going to be on this spaceship like a Battlestar Galactica or maybe a Red Dwarf. Right? Yeah. What happens when you die on that ship, when you inevitably die on the ship? You get buried at space. What? Are like you dramatic music. Are you just kind of jettisoned? No, you're in a little coffin, aren't you? Yeah, but you're just kind of shot out of an exhaust pipe, aren't you, really? It's kind of like, you know when you're on a plane 
and you take a sh- like you you go from number two, you take a shit. That little turd is kind of jettisoned out of the plane mid-flight. It's frozen it, though. Yeah, and it, yeah, but then, then it comes down as like a frozen dagger on someone's head. Is that what we're going to do? When is that the new funeral right? So just jettisoned out like a fucking frozen turd. Well, beyond that, it's like what happens to the first planet that the desperate humans in need come across? It gets wrecked. Well, first there'll be like a sort of bombardment of frozen turds. Well, whatever and then, alien race is there first, and then you've got to wipe them out. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, but these are all problems that you, you have to face if you want to live. The human will to survive is, is there's, there's nothing to, to match it. There's stories of people surviving all sorts of things. I think as a species, that's why we got to the top in our survival skills. You know, Adaptability. Haw- well, that's the thing. Haw- Hawking talks about, you know, the world being destroyed or becoming unlivable for humans. The biosphere being wrecked. But sometimes I, I, I like to sort of play with the notion that maybe humans have, have have been sort of wiped out a few times before in the past. We've gotten so far. and Classic sci-fi storyline yeah. here. Yeah. The Matrix sequels were bullshit. I know that's what you're referencing right now, isn't it? No. That humanity's destroyed itself like five, oh. six, seven times. That kind of concept. Maybe. Very popular, I think, in like... Maybe but late few, 80s, early 90s sci-fi yeah, writing. But, but maybe a few a few have survived. You know, humans don't have much genetic diversity compared to other species on this planet. Close species as well. You know, so at one point we were a very small community of uh, animals. We went people. down to 10,000, supposedly. As little as 10,000 humans at yeah, one point. Yeah, there's even some thing, theory called the seven daughters of Eve. And there are apparently like only seven types of genotype matriarchal DNA threads that you can have. So there's there's more genetic diversity in a group of gorillas than there is in the whole human race. They all look the same. What? Well, I mean, because they don't really wear clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but they all kind of But if the they same. could, they'd all have completely different tastes. And well, it's just because actually they smell different, I guess. Whereas we're not, we're accustomed to things looking we're not, different. We're not, we're not on the, their level, you know, we mm. don't give off the same vibes or whatever they pick up on. Like that's kind of amazing how a dog can remember someone that it met only once and then like six, seven years later, the same scent. They're like, oh yeah, I know you. And they start, oh yeah, man, cuddle me, tickle my belly. But Hawkins saying in the meantime, because look, we're fucked, yeah? We're either going to die on this planet or we're going to die in a big metal tube in the middle of space. And you're just going to be, someone's going to pull a lever and your body's just going to be flown out into nothingness. So in the meantime, Stephen Hawking saying robots will come a long way in the next 30 years or so. And that they're basically they're going to take care of all the laborious tasks that humans can't be bothered to do and or robots think we can't be trusted to do. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to wreck the biosphere and then we're going to live underground. We're going to become a subterranean peoples. Wow. And the robots are going to stay above ground and they're going to keep telling us, yeah, we're fixing things. We're making, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're replanting trees and all this kind of thing. That's very Really, cool. they're not. They're not doing any of that. It's dark. I've seen the Matrix. I know how this goes. Mm. They're not going to do any of that. They're going to double cross us. Well, they're going to realize, A, we robots don't need a biosphere in order to exist. And B, we don't need humans in order to exist. As soon as we build a robot that can fix other robots and itself, humans become surplus to requirements. So the robots are going to fuck us over whilst we're all living on the ground getting rickets. Well, that, you're, you're, you're looking at a story that has two branches, but I'm going to suggest a third branch a now. A third way. Well, like, like you say, maybe as, as it is, we can't imagine making spaceships that could travel in space for a thousand years. But maybe... If, we could, but well, we, we can't live on them. Okay, yeah. But maybe if you could make a robot 
and eventually it becomes acceptable to transfer your brain into a robot and your spine into a robot. You can live for like a thousand years. Maybe yeah. then that thousand year Do you know journey, what you'd be doing for a thousand years every single day of your life? Masturbating. You'd be asking, am I really human? And masturbating. <laughs> but no, but you'd be to like, the point you'd be you like a robotic human, wouldn't you? So you'd, that's, that's the thing. You, maybe you'd, Kind of what we are now. Yeah, but that, who knows what level of technology you might be able to like swim in outer space and walk on the surface of a sun. (laughs) (laughs) Pure fantasy now. But that's what I mean. Like maybe instead of having like the robots taking over or humans flying off in spaceships, maybe people and robots will mix together and you'll get a different sort of thing. Like humans might not be able to live on the planet unless they get bionic robotic lungs put in. Do you know what would happen before? That we'd skip that phase, I think, and we'd just digitise ourselves and we'd exist in cyberspace as a digitised form of consciousness. I don't know. You, Yeah, it depends how many of the senses that you can be digi- digitally stimulated. They can all be electrically stimulated, all five senses. So eventually if people could do that digitally in a cohesive way with a the game, then who's to say what's thing. real life and what's what's not? I'd, I'd come back to that. If you are down, if your consciousness is downloaded into a, computerized matrix type brain yeah are you still human no according to the best film of all time robocop the answer is yes well no but robocop still had his part of his human he had brain. his humanity so he had like his adrenal Ooh, glands you're right yeah he did his, have a like, human brain you're few right. chunks of his brain his spinal cord those endocrine yeah, systems right. so there are those sort of hormonal things that give us our feelings and our desires and stuff so you'd need the actual glands and juice or at least a simulation of it yeah. Maybe the robot could just have artificial adrenaline and artificial serotonin and dopamine. Um, who knows? Synthetic humans. Possible? Maybe that's the next step. Synthetic life. All right. Enough of that. Who wants to live forever, as the Queen song goes? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it's been a fairly depressing episode thus far. Really? I don't yeah. see why. And it's only going to get worse, meaning our audience share, which was pitiful to begin with, steadily dropping, and we need to start dumbing down our product even more in the never-ending and ultimately futile effort of ratings chasing. Which brings us on to our next subject, our review of the Oscar-winning evisceration of the CD world of television. It's Sidney Lumet's network. And now, the distinguished television news commentator, Mr. Howard Beale. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like at this moment to announce that I will be retiring from this program in two weeks' time because of poor ratings. Since this show was the only thing I had going for me in my life, I have decided to kill myself. I'm going to blow my brains out right on this program a week from today. What the hell's going on Prepare yourself for a perfectly outrageous motion picture. Someone actually did that for real. Shot himself. Yeah, yeah. Female. He wasn't a broadcast. No, it's a female guy. news reporter. She shot herself in the head. So, directed by Sidney Lumet, written by Paddy Chayefsky. Chayefsky. I hope I pronounced that right. Network stars Peter Finch as Howard Bill, an aging news anchor who, after getting axed for low ratings, decides he's going to kill himself live on air. Until he has a sort of divine intervention where he realizes... An yeah, an epiphany, if you will. He realises he's got a big platform to speak truth to power to the masses. Also stars Faye Dunaway as Diana Christensen, a young, bloodthirsty TV network executive with an insatiable avarice. 
She's kind of like the uh, she's one of the antagonists in the film, although you kind of have sympathy for sympathy for her by the end. Yeah, she moves the plot along certainly. Also starring William Holden as Max Schumacher, an old friend to Finch's Howard Bill, who I think really is the main protagonist of the film. He's like the really the main character, and uh, essentially he plays like the conscience of the audience. He's the only one who seems to have any real kind of ethics to him. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, Robert Duvall as Frank Hackett. So Robert Duvall swiftly becomes the top dog at the network and basically represents the position of power that Faye Dunaway ultimately wants to have for herself. What would you say about network? Well, to be honest with you, when you, when you told me you were reviewing this, you asked me if I'd seen it and I said yes. Yeah. So many years ago. But the one thing that, that stuck out with me was obviously it's like a series of rants. <laughs> There's some amazing monologues in this film. Yeah, yeah. every every character gets their own little rant ranting, but they're all they're all very. Uh, even though it was you know it's nearly forty years old, it's it's still very timely. The things they're talking about in the film kind of shows things really haven't changed in the world of television. Yeah, yeah, and it also sort of um, the the main character is almost foisted into a he's like a sort of messiah, isn't he? Because he's sort of crucified at the end. That's Don't what, give that, it away. Don't that's spoilers. how I took it. That's what you said, just in a short little packet. It had a great dark sense of humour to it. Mm. I just, really. I just, I just, I just remember the ranting and the assassination. Yeah, I not think to give any spoilers. People get caught up on Peter Finch's Howard Bill in terms of his epic rants, and that's kind of what everyone remembers from the film. But if you have seen it before, and that's all you kind of remember of it, it's definitely worth watching again for the kind of the much more fleshed out subplot. Right. Between uh, Faye Dunaway. The romance. The affair. She has an affair, doesn't she? The main romance between Faye Dunaway and uh, William Holden's character, Max. That's really, that's what brought me back to the film. That's what's going to bring me back and make me watch it again. And also, of course, the fact that uh, back in the late 50s, C.S. Lewis wrote this, famously wrote this letter where he expressed grave concerns about television and the impact it was going to have on future generations. Well, he would be in a, a book... A book guy, yeah. <laughs> like, fucking hell. But I think gone. Network gets to the heart of his concerns yes. and how it's kind of ruinous to future generations and left them disconnected mm. and desensitized to everything. T- TV's the old, TV used to be the old enemy, like in the corner of the room. Now now it's the internet. It's, 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 it's shifted up a gear even more now. We used to call it the idiot box, or at least my family used yeah. to call it that. But now we carry this idiot box around with us. We even wear it on our bodies and have it yeah. in our pockets. And we call them smartphones. I mean, the basic plot of the film, Howard Bills, this grey, old news anchor. He's in this kind of twilight years of his career. His ratings are starting to go down. This causes him to be fired by Robert Duvall's character, Frank Hackett. And Bill decides he's going to kill himself live on air. And surely that'll get good ratings, right? Yeah. Howard Bill, Peter Finch is Howard Bill. He then has a sort of divine premonition where he becomes like a prophet, revealing the truth of the world to the masses and exposes all the bullshit. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. and There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. 
They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Powerful stuff, Tom. Powerful yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like I say, it's got great monologues like that yeah. throughout the whole film. The whole, almost every character yeah. has. But like I said, it was forty years ago, and things haven't gone completely to hell. If he could go forwards in time and look at us now, what what would he think? Well, at least there wasn't a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> yeah, which Although, was the main main concern for a lot of people. Though. Donald Trump is president because Faye Dunaway, Diana Christensen, she witnesses the impact of Howard Bill's epic rant. She calls up all these different stations across America and she's like, oh, put your head out the window. Are people yelling? Are they yelling? I'm mad as hell. And they're all like, yeah, everybody, yeah, they're yelling in Atlanta. They're yelling in Chicago. So she realizes, okay, there's an audience for this. Yeah, She's Even, beautiful, by the way, as well. Oh, Faye Dunaway, yeah. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. She plays a really interesting character in this film, actually. Mm. It was kind of like a gender swap before gender swaps were cool. Okay. There's a bit in the film, there's a good scene where um, she's had this crush on Max Schumacher, William Holden's character, since she was a young woman in college. And um, she's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to impress someone, you say too much about yourself. And she's going on about how she's got a really masculine temperament. She's not ladylike at all, including the fact that she even suffers from premature ejaculation. And you remember when they first get together? Don't. She kind of like, she sits on it for one second and she's like, ah, and just falls on him. <laughs> Perfect girlfriend. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> just made her a little more interesting character. Now, Robert Duval's character, who basically runs the network, he doesn't want to put Howard Bill on the air anymore. He wants to get rid of him, take him off. No, he's, he's shaking up the no, status quo. Only, only after, because you, what it, as it turns out, the network has a parent company. Oh, the Mega remember? Corp. That was like Saudi Arabian owners. Yeah. And Hackett, Robert DeVal initially just wants to get rid of Howard Bill, but Faye Dunaway convinces him, no, 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 look, we need an audience. We need ratings. We're a failing network. A prime time audience share is dog shit. We need Howard Bill. And so she pushes him. She gives him his own show, which is kind of ridiculous. Do you remember the show? No. There's like a palm reader. There's a woman looking into a crystal ball. A very witty, very well-written film. Said it won lots of awards, didn't it? Multiple Oscars. And- yeah, it won four Oscars. Wow. Including best original screenplay, which is like the big one. So that's one was that's almost unheard of. And and so you think why why don't more people know about this film? Probably because it's such a reactionary piece. Yeah, because people call it a cult classic when it's not really. I mean, at the time it was a big film. It did really well. It made a twenty million dollars profit. Mm. Like you say, won four Oscars. So people knew of it back in nineteen seventy six. But for some reason, kind of just fell off. Well, it's not shown People on. Forgot it's about not, it. It's not shown on television very often. Yeah, I wonder why it's not really shown. That's on why TV. I've not seen it for years. Should be a Christmas movie, really. Should be on every Christmas. But the reason why I wanted to talk about Network today, like I said earlier, a lot of people just kind of remember Peter Finch's performance as Howard Bill delivering these monologues, and I really, I think the main attraction to the film should really be the interactions 
between Faye Dunaway and William Holden's character, where they have a six-month fling. And uh, basically, Faye Dunaway's character, she embodies and encapsulates all of C.S. Lewis's fears about how TV was turning people into just a bunch of degenerates who are detached from the world, completely desensitized to violence. She can't really experience any human emotions anymore. And there's a really great scene where they're breaking up. I don't want your pain. I don't want your menopause or decay and death. I don't need you, Mark. You now get need out of me. You need me badly because I'm your last contact with human reality. I love you. And that painful, decaying love is the only thing between you and the shrieking nothingness you live the rest of the day. Then don't leave me. It's too late, Diana. There's nothing left in you that I can live with. And if I stay with you, I'll be destroyed. Like everything that you and the institution of television touch is destroyed. You're television incarnate, Diana. Indifferent to suffering, insensitive to joy. All of life is reduced to the common rubble of banality. War, murder, death. All the same to you as bottles of beer. And the daily business of life is a corrupt comedy. Your madness, Diane. Virulent madness. Very, very, that- very prescient film. Very prescient film. Stephen Hawking must have seen it. <laughs> do you think TV <laughs> has played a role in that, though? Do you recognise yeah. in Faye Dunaway's character kind of some something pe- in yourself and some, maybe others? Some people call our generation the generation that was raised on television. Yeah. Literally, parents would plonk their kids down in front of the TV or like all of your friends would watch the same programs at the same time. Yeah, I remember. I missed that you, kind of Because you, you only had three or four channels. But do you think it has desensitised us in the sense that um, I always read about cameramen in war zones, how like everyone keeps asking them, how can you keep your cool? And all these bullets are whizzing past your head and explosions are going off everywhere. And they're like, well, I'm looking through a viewfinder. And that viewfinder kind of disconnects me mm. from what's actually going on around me. And I just feel safe. Yeah, I can imagine you can force yourself into that little black box. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's what TV does in general? Yeah. But I'm interested now because because television has sort of been superseded by the internet and things like YouTube. Well, it's yeah. the same thing, really. Yeah. It's just a different but medium. You've, you've got, platform you, you more choose your content than have it forced down your throat like television did. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Which is why a lot of these things now, the internet is sort of the media giants are scrabbling to make up lost ground. To your point, though, about people choose what they want to watch. Have you ever had that moment where you chose to watch something and then regretted it? Like you're kind of, oh my God, I wish I really didn't watch that. Like yes, a, a two yes. girls, one cup kind of thing, or maybe like a beheading video. You thought you were man enough to stomach it, but you weren't. Yeah, it's always good to have a bit of self-censorship. That's destructive to the soul, surely. Something just can't be unseen. Seeing things that can't be unseen. Mm. You can't pour the eye bleach. That probably deteriorates your soul a little bit. Maybe when you bite, like, maybe the next time you have an ice cream, it's not quite so joyous to you after you watch someone die horribly. <laughs> But the whole the whole thing of the it pumping out banality, yeah, is it's all about maintaining the status quo. It's, it's keeping things on a level. That's why network stands out because you have this guy on the news saying these crazy things. Well, they're not so crazy. They're actually like very truthful. Yeah, he's he's portrayed as like the truth sayer, the guy who cuts through all the bullshit and gives the audience the truth, which is really what they want. But then there's a bit in the film, there's a bit in network where Howard Bill realizes. The network he works for has corporate masters who don't have any ties to any nationality or any country. Only to shareholders. Exactly. And then that's when he's told the truth of the world, really, is that there are no countries. There's just corporations. You have meddled! 
filled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal. That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Yeah, like I say, some great monologues and some very nice dark humor. Yes, some very harsh truths, sir. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, there... I mean, I wouldn't say that's truth, Well, but I would say there is a, a significant number of very powerful people who do view... that That is their worldview. What is the golden rule? Treat you how... No, no. Treat others how no. you would like to be treated. That's what Jesus said. Yeah. Right? No, the golden rule is whoever has the gold makes the rules. Is that a Rothschild <laughs> quote? Probably. Whoever controls the money supply controls the country. So there, there, you do get that sometimes, art imitating life. Very sadly, I was reminded that... Um, you know, the guy threatens to shoot himself on air. But a few years after this film came out, uh, a female news anchor actually did that. Oh, God. On live uh, news. That really happened? In, in America. Yeah, yeah. Google it. So Googling that now and... Oh, wait, she did it in 1974. So it was before Network came out. Yeah, two years before. So, so she, she inspired the film then. Maybe, uh, she, maybe she was trying to make a statement about... I was going to say she news. wasn't forgotten, but I've forgotten her name already. Christine Chubbuck. That's her name. <laughs> You'll be remembered... <laughs> we'll never forget your sacrifice. I mean, that's, I suppose that's a connection between Trump and Network. Network kind of, um, like Faye Dunaway's character was very much, oh, look, who cares about actual news? We just want drama and sensationalism. And that's, you know, that's what the media did when it came to Trump. They sensationalized, oh, I can't even speak today. You say it. Sensationalized. Him. Treated it as though it was drama that people, like it was actually worth paying attention to. Really, it probably wasn't. You should really probably pay more attention to policy ideas, things like that. But anyway, so I mean, I was going to mention Orwell here as well. You know, in terms of how people say Orwell was making predictions about the future. Well, Animal Farm or 1984. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Both Animal Farm and 1984. Like Animal Farm, obviously, most directly was a parody of Soviet communism. Right, I've only ever seen the film. It's almost kind of like a lampooning of it. That was kind of obvious. 1984, what George L. Orwell did was he wrote a book. As long as you can read to a basic standard, you can understand the nature of totalitarianism. That's like Orwell's gift to the world with 1984. Is he encapsulated what it would feel like, what it meant to live under totalitarianism. And so Orwell wasn't predicting the future, though. He was kind of satirizing the present. And that's what Network was doing. But the fact that a lot of the things that Network was talking about in showing us 
they're still relevant today yeah. because the nature of TV hasn't changed. As I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, C.S. Lewis famously had concerns about television and that it would be, it would create a generation of just complete degenerates, retrobates, sluts, <laughs> vulgar characters. Vulgar characters. Who are completely desensitized to everything. And I think, yeah, yeah, I think he was right. I think that is the nature <laughs> of television. It's such a passive kind of medium. You just kind of let it wash over you. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like you you just switch your brain off. I know that's a cliche phrase. Have I convinced you that it's worth giving network another shot? Oh, 100%. Another second viewing. Yeah, definitely. I agree. It's definitely worth giving network <laughs> another shot. If you have watched it before and you think like, yeah, I remember all the epic rants. Watch it again. There's a lot more to it than you might have got first time around. Especially the beautiful Faye Dunaway. Oh, of course. And uh, Robert Duvall, sexy motherfucker. <laughs> and uh, it's currently available on Netflix. Yesterday, I announced on this program that I was going to commit public suicide. Admittedly, an act of madness. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I just ran out of bullshit. All right, cut him off. Leave him on. Am I still on the air? If this is how he wants to go out, this I don't is how know he another way to say it, except that I just ran out of bullshit. Yeah. Uh, look, Mr. Schumacher's right here. Do you want to talk to him? Bullshit is all the reasons we give for living. And if we can't think of any reasons of our own, we always have the God bullshit. Holy Mary, mother. We don't know yeah, why Tom, what is going it? through all this pointless pain, humiliation, and decay, so there better be someone somewhere who does know. That's the God bullshit. He's saying that life is like bullshit, and it is. So what are you screaming about? Man is a noble creature that can order his own world. Who needs God? 